Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens around them. Okay, so... So you were at work, and you have a colleague who is getting ready to retire. I do. I, I have a couple, so that's why I had that look on my face for a second. <laughs> the the guy who the the guy who's my old town baseball friend he he just retired and then there's another colleague who is you know how in the in the comics or even a lot of shows that uh, you have your arch nemesis and you need them yes well that's my work wife's she is the master to your work wife's doctor. Yes. Or what did Missy say in that one episode? Wait, Davros is your arch enemy now? I'll scratch his eyes out. <laughs> so, one of those people that you need around, but you like to give each other trouble. Uh huh. So, the work version of that, not the comic book version. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> so, your work wife's arch, enem- arch nemesis. Yes. Arch enemy. Nemesis. Probably. Nemesis. Yeah, yes. that's more of a word. Is that um, apply to them. Yes, is getting ready to retire. And we decided to ply her with old leave forms that are no longer in circulation, but we had some in a file. They they were made for when they were being used, and then when they changed the format, they still have the papers left over. They do. Everything's electronic, and it's not a form anymore. It's a process. But these are the actual forms where there's like a white paper and a pink paper, and you'd write on the white one. Carbonless copies, Yeah, that thing. So we, we decided to ply her with those. Do you think that half of our listeners even know what carbon copies are? They can look it up. <laughs> That's what Google's for. Why, why would it be carbonless if there was not a carbon? And we remember these things because we're old. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. you made the carbonless copies of leave forms for this woman. Yes. And we would fill them out with various nonsense of... Some set of dates, which involve this month because she leaves at the end of the month. And then checking other, because that way you can write something in. As a reason for leaving. Yes. And then uh, signing it with some Mickey Mouse, John Hancock of a supervisor. Okay. I would have thought she would know it was us right away. Because who, who else would do these things? But people were doing other things. Somebody took her name tag off of her cubicle, took it out of the holder, and reprinted it with her name. And instead of her title underneath, they, they typed short timer. <laughs> so people were doing things. Yes. Uh, not just us. But I thought anybody who goes to this much trouble, she'd probably know it's us, but she didn't. And here's why. Okay, so this is telling me that she's not Davros. She is... She's the doctor, and you're Davros, and somebody else is the cyber controller, and somebody else is... Yeah, we've been watching a lot of Doctor Who. But anyhow, she decided it wasn't us. And she said to whoever, well, it can't be George and his work wife, because this isn't his work wife's handwriting. And I'm thinking, I don't write things? Because they were assuming that the handwriting being so neat wouldn't be yours, because you're a man. And men don't generally have neat handwriting. That is certainly one of the assumptions that I assumed that they they had. But you assumed that they assumed? That's right. <laughs> At first, I thought, they think I don't write forms because I'm the man and I would make her write them. that that would be something that you would delegate to a woman. Right. That I understand also. Now I get it. So neither did the delegatory process seem to apply correctly. And the handwriting was not what they were expecting. 
Okay. I was filling out the slips. It was your handwriting. It was my idea. And I said, hey, let's do this thing to her. And my work wife said, yeah, let's do that. She didn't guess it was us for that week because of those reasons. Obviously, George couldn't write these and it wasn't his work wife's handwriting, so it wasn't them. Um, (laughs) I find it funny that they always assume that it's you two as a pair doing things. Yes, and she likes to uh, call us different things like, oh, there goes Pete and repeat. (laughs) And then my work wife will say, well, which is which? Uh That kind of nonsense. Laurel and Hardy... Trouble and more trouble, whatever. Dumb and dumber? No, they wouldn't do that. They'd be afraid <laughs> we'd do something. Right. Yeah. Um, when we did get to the signing it or writing about weather and snow, then she figured out it was us. Because that is one of their big things to bother each other about is the weather. Yes. So one then, of them then she figured it out. Weather and one of them does not like weather. But we didn't admit to it. No. 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 Well, there's no fun in that. So everybody in her little area over there, because she hangs them up outside her cubicle now. Uh-huh. It's going to wallpaper the whole thing. By the time she leaves. Yeah, there's going to be, you know, three weeks of them. Right. So everybody waits to see what's going to say next. Because we put one in the mailbox every day. <laughs> and we manage to do that because either one of us is early, that's not me, or one of us stays late, which could be me. I find it interesting that your colleagues are so steeped in this heteronormativity that they would just assume that the man will delegate and that man handwriting is not pretty and it's not her handwriting, so it must not be them. Yeah. And that she wouldn't think we were sneaky enough to get somebody else to write things for us? Come on. But this is kind of illustrative of the observations you've had of heteronormativity for a long while now. Yes. I find it a curious factor of my daily existence, I guess. And that's not just because of my transition, because it's always been something I'm an observer of. Like way back before you transitioned, it was a thing then too. Even as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, as a kid who is trans and doesn't know what to do about it, I was thinking, I'm different. They don't seem to notice that. And if they do, they sort of do that thing that people do when there's a word without all the letters in and they just fill in the rest of the letters and see the word. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just filling in the blanks and kind of hoping if they ignore whatever or point you in that direction that you're just going to fit into whatever they expect. The first part of that is a cognitive developmental thing that humans just have as an adaptation to being a sentient species. Right. We need to be able to process and categorize the world around us for ease of processing the amount of information that we as a sentient species process on a daily basis. Correct. And so we do fill in blanks. Yes. But we don't always fill them in the right way. We fill them in according to whatever blanks we need to fill in, whether it's a safety, you know, tiger is going to eat man, man must decide how to avoid tiger, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. type of thing. Or something, you know, much more modern. I mean, there's there's all kinds of reasons we fill them in. Right. To try to figure out what to do in our situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw that as a kid and I dealt with it as best I could, not really knowing what to do with these people who sin- didn't seem to match they, they anything. They wanted you to match the other people who had the same genetics and or anatomy as you. They did and they expected that. They didn't just want me to, they expected it. And I knew that that was not my gift. 
So I wasn't sure what to do either. Right. So I knew I was on the periphery of this land they all lived in there. Yeah. And that continues throughout the existence I've experienced of realizing who you are and different coming out processes and living as a not out person to, to make it most explainable to everybody, you know, living in the in the closet. Stealth or... Yeah, but... Closeted. In those days, it was much more a closeted experience. You could possibly be, as a queer person, you could be out in your community. In the queer family. In certain experiences that you were having together with your queer friends and people. And not so at work, even if it may or may not be obvious to those people around you that you were queer. And that experience changes a bit whether or not you are someone who is sort of looking like you can fit in close enough, you know, inside of that area. That If, per- if you present more heteronormatively. Yes, if you, you can at least get on the, the periphery of the inside of that. Mm-hmm. from their viewpoint or their ability to fill in those blanks. Or another queer person who's like, hey, I can see where things are different here and this person is more like me. Mm-hmm. And you have that kind of bonding, even if it's a silent bonding. Then maybe as a more out person in the world, you find yourself up against the prejudice and other issues that people have. And so it's it's a more obvious interplay of I'm different and I know it and you know it too. Yeah, except when they don't. Like, for example, when you were working in the rurals and you said that a lot of the time because the women out there don't put on makeup every day because they're farmers and ranchers and other, you know, laborers. Correct. Then, you know, you weren't perceived as different for being a female presenting person with a short haircut and no makeup. And a lot of them assumed that you were fairly conservative. They did, because I'm fairly private, but that's part of who I am and part of the way my job works. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also, though, is part of being a queer person in the world. At least in the time period that I grew up in, there's a certain amount of privacy that goes with that for safety. And there's not a lot of consideration of it's okay to let my hair down now in general, the general part of the world. Mm-hmm. You, you do that with your queers. Yes. Still. Yeah. And 20 I mean, years that's, ago. You, you heard that so recently as the Pulse nightclub shooting where a lot of these people still are saying, this is my church. This is my haven. This is the place where I can relax and be with people who are like me. This is the only place that feels safe to me. Right. Talking about their experiences at the queer nightclubs. Right. So it was a fairly comfortable blending in because my work life was segregated just like my queer life was. And it wasn't a very big discongruity for me uh, because I was pretty used to that experience of segregated living Mm -hmm. expression. Mm -hmm. So then my experience after that working in what people consider a city, which is actually a town... um, (laughs) But being around a lot of folks who are a little more savvy to different people in the world, 
mm-hmm. and accepting of that to a fair extent. I, I think a lot of folks in this town are, they're pretty good about it, you know? A lot of the West is fairly libertarian. You do you, and as long as you're not infringing on my rights about it, and they don't mean that in the way of the conservative, oh, they're infringing on my right to discriminate by existing and expecting me not to. Right. They no, don't, they, they don't. They, that's not what they mean. As long as you're not actually getting up in my space and impeding my ability to pursue life, liberty, or happiness. They, they don't care. They really don't care. At all. Mm-hmm. So I was a more out person when I started working in town. Mm-hmm. And that was fine. Although I still knew that wasn't really me. And again, now somebody has a different perception of me. And some of those, you know, people might still think, oh, there's just a female body person. Or some of them might think there's a lesbian female body person or some such. But that was just the uniform. Yes. It really was. That's a good way of framing it. And yeah. I think we've said that before. It really yeah. is a uniform. So my experience there was a different angle of that periphery, but still on the periphery of there's the cisgendered straight people, or at least they say they are. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably some people who kind of understand me, and most of them were people fairly close to me, who just accepted me as myself, whatever, especially mm-hmm. like my cousin Vinny. Mm-hmm. So um, now that I'm a trans guy who's transitioned medically yes, and presents as a male person. Heteronormativity is working to the other direction, but it's still there. It is. And it's not that I wouldn't expect it. I would be most shocked if I didn't have that experience, probably. <laughs> you know? We, we need to make a time, like we've carved out of our annual calendar to go to Gallifrey One. Now we need to start carving out some time out of our annual calendar to get to like Gender Odyssey or Philly Trans Health or First Event or one of these other... I would like to do one of those I things. I would love to. We, sh- we should sit down and plan it yes. tonight or something like start in that yes. direction. So. We should take number zero to Gender Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have to do it enough ahead of time that we can get my work wife to watch the it's pointy-headed creature. in the fall, and I don't know if they still have tickets, but if they don't, then we can register well, some, for next year. I'm thinking it's going to end up being next year. But next fall, yeah. Yeah, but if we plan now, yeah. we could get there. Uh-huh. But anyhow, so now I have this whole other internal process that's happening while everybody is doing their categorizing and assuming and reacting to me as a man watching them and knowing that I'm not the person that they have decided that I am. And again, we go back to what you were saying at the beginning. We all do these things. We all do these things. I look around and I say, okay, which of these people is probably not going to kill me? Mm -hmm. Um, Which of these people is okay to talk to in a just conversation? Like I've discussed, don't talk to random women because I'm a guy. I mean, you don't do that anymore. No, it's a you no can't go. do that. Before you might talk to them, which it's me, so of course I don't. But um, <laughs> if I knew them, I might. And if I know them if now, they were hot enough, you might. Yes. <laughs> and if I knew them, I might talk to them because they'd be okay with talking to me. Right. But now, unless they say something to me, I don't assume they know me. And then there's this whole thing of I transitioned late in life. So does that person remember who I am? And have I known them on this side of transition or that side or whatever? How long have I known them? Did they know me before? Yes. It's hard. Um, and Especially have, this far in. You're, you're four years now. Yes. Or coming up on four years, I should say, since you 
publicly transitioned. My experience now, and I, I think that we've touched on this in, in different conversations here about experiences of trans guys where people around you expect you had an experience that you didn't have. Uh-huh. That involves acculturation to our American male expectations and privileges. And so there's a lot of gauging of what might they be expecting here? What is my experience? What would be the best thing to be presenting right now? Will that be acceptable, depending on what kind of situation you're dealing with? Right. But a lot of it, during that whole time in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about what their expectations are. Yeah. That I experienced a certain amount of exposure to sports and white male privilege, even though I'm a small person, I'm a white guy. So Yes, there you you're go. not a tall guy, but you are no. a white guy. Right. And that does have a lot of privilege and people assume that you had that privilege and you did have white privilege. Yes. But you did not have male privilege or white male privilege. Right. Totally different level. So those kind of things. And and I, I have my way of gauging where they might be at with that. For instance, like I said, my big black guy friend at work. Uh-huh. So he's a minority in our town and area and so forth. Yes. And I can have certain ideas about how he might be approaching things. And he has certain approaches to, with me as another dude. Like he's like, hey, Cubs man, when he sees me, you uh -huh. know? So there's our sports connection and our dudes watch sports connection. That and is weird as fuck to me. It is. It's really weird to me too, because I'm standing right there experiencing it. And this is not the conversation I would have with him as a female bodied person. Right. It wouldn't be this expectation from him of, oh, here's one of the few other dudes in our area working and making a, you know, his reaching out to make that connection. And, yeah, you know, I know that he has, as his minority, things that he's dealing with. And so one of the things I know is he's always presenting as very friendly. Because big black guy equals scary for a lot of white people. Yeah. So he's very, presents always. as very friendly. Yes. And he's probably also always very well dressed. He doesn't dress down like a lot of the white guys at your work yep, do. Yep, you better believe it. Yes, because this is something I was talking about with Number Zero Child the other day about how social capital, there are certain elements of your social capital, your privilege or your minority status that you can't affect. And then it is an unfortunate responsibility of those of us with less natural social capital to take those steps of dressing well, of presenting well, of interacting in certain ways to remedy that disparity for our own damn selves. Yes, there's things that you do. Stupid. That's Sorry. That's a whole nother... <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he does. He does dress very nice. Uh-huh. He dresses professional. Uh, he doesn't like overdo it or underdo it, and he never underdoes it. For instance, in comparison, there is a white guy who's probably, I'm going to say, in his mid-30s. Uh-huh. He's not very big. He's probably not that much taller than me. Uh-huh. He's He's got a slighter build, cisgendered, straight guy at work who always dresses like total crap. And I often say to my work wife, even after we've, like, we've gone to see him in his office for something, and he's gotten lots of promotions. He's very inept. It doesn't matter. He's a white guy. Yes. And this is why your work wife said when you first started to transition that if you get the next promotion or you get the raise or you get to be her boss, she's quitting. It was about the raise. She doesn't care if I, she doesn't really care if I get the raise because I need it more than she does. She has more retirement. But yeah, it is about the I'm a guy thing. And if I get something and she doesn't because uh -huh. I'm a guy, she'll be mad. Right. 
So we'll visit him for something and I will come out of there saying, once again, where does he get those shirts from? And she says, I told you they're left over from high school in the back of his closet. When he wears out the other ones, he goes in the back of the closet and gets another one. That's nuts. And that's not something... That's not something with that someone else with less innate social capital would be able to get away with. Right. And it's not the dress code. No, it's not. It's totally not, but he gets away with it. And he gets promoted, no less. Yes. I remember one of the guys that used to be in town here, he moved out of town. He moved somewhere to a bigger city, basically. But he said the way to pass for him as a kind of, as he would say, fat guy, was to be a slob. As a white guy in the world, being a slob was fairly expected from him. Yes, and it worked well. Oh my gosh! Yes, as a dyke, he had to present himself much more. I remember seeing him on friends of friends' Facebooks and always thinking, "Oh, that person looks very put together. That person looks very well kept." And then he transitioned and totally let himself. I mean, I can't say it that way. I should, but really, that's really what it is. You would say, "Oh, this guy let himself go," but he wasn't letting himself go. He was helping himself pass. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. So throughout all of this, you're being perceived most of the time as just some short white guy. Right. And you have a client who has noticed a few of these little tells about you, but doesn't seem to connect them yet. I don't know that they will. I don't know that they wouldn't either. But they did notice the handwriting, which was interesting. It was probably the same week that this other thing was going on at work. I was, you know, working with them, writing something down. They said, you have very neat handwriting for a guy. (laughs) And I was like, I just shrugged my shoulders like. Right. And so. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And then there was something else funny. I mean, they've noticed my stature and they said something because these are, there's always somebody who's the person in the world who says whatever. Uh-huh. And this is that person mm-hmm. who says to me in the group that they're in, they refer to me as the elf because <laughs> I'm a small guy. Yes. And I just laugh because I know I'm a small guy. Yes. And I say to them, well, it's always funny to me because I know that, but in my family, I'm the big one. You are the tall one in your family. And they say, whoa, no way. (laughs) You know? Yes. And to clarify for our friends who have not the virtue of observing you, you are five foot four. Yes. And about 150. About. I I go between 140. A lot of people do. 140-something and 150, depending on Mm -hmm. if my wife makes enough pie. (laughs) and That might make a difference, you know. Yeah, it could. So anyway, yes, you're a small guy. Yes. And they call you the elf. Yes. And I thought, well, that's funny, and I'm glad I'm not insulted. (laughs) Um, I bet they were, too. Yeah. Well, I don't think they really care, because they're just kind of like, they deal with a lot, they don't have a lot of social capital, this particular group. And so they feel very comfortable around me. And I think that that's kind of them letting me in a little bit. I think so too. And there's a way that I learned to interact in the world in a lot of circumstances, where being slightly absurd on a regular basis earns you the social capital of being the funny one. And you also get to sort of get away with saying a lot of things that are true because nobody really thinks that they're true. Yes. And so it's kind of interesting that they would just sort of be like, haha, we call you the elf. Haha, we're just going to say whatever. And I was just like, wow, okay. That's, you know, interesting because I'm a small person, so I guess people would think that. And some might say gnome or something like that, right? I don't have a pointy hat, but 
but it made me think of the gnomes, you know. You, you collect have, gnomes. I didn't collect them on purpose. You, they have been collected for you in your possession. Yes. And, and now I do <laughs> you like... You regularly gifted gnomes. I think that they are funny. And, and that, now that you say that, am I gifted gnomes? Because I don't know. Because somebody gifted you gnomes and somebody else gifted you gnomes. And now it's becoming a thing that people gift you gnomes because now you have a collection of gnomes. It happens that way because you might have something. Let's say you have a gnome in your yard and then some person that's bringing you a Christmas present for whatever reason, but isn't really knowing what to get you says, oh, I saw a gnome. And so here's some gnomes. You must like them. And then there's more gnomes. And then they decide to, like you said, it they you know, multiply. Yeah, they do. <laughs> A couple of them are broken now. And actually, what's really funny to me, nobody probably cares, um, <laughs> is the, the oldest ones, the first gnomes, were actually my favorite. They were, they were resin gnome, and they look like wood cuttings. Uh-huh. But I like the features of them, the type of style they were uh-huh. made in. And those ones are pretty worn out and right. not staying together anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these other random gnomes that I don't right. want. <laughs> but you have a collection of gnomes because you are a gnome. Apparently. There you go. Or an elf. So heteronormativity is weird as fuck. Yes. I think to to sum up our entire discussion. Yes, it is to me and to you. Well, that's because we're not heteronormative. Correct. <laughs> There's a quote that's been attributed to Anais Nin and Stephen Covey, and I repeat it on a fairly regular basis lately. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Right. And so all these people who are cisgender, who are heterosexual, and who are privileged to see that in the world around them, who are immersed in examples of heteronormativity, perpetuate the norm. And they don't see that there's anything outside of it. And so those of us who are outside of it, we see everything as like, what the fuck? Because we all a lot of the time feel like, what the fuck? Yeah, I often do find myself thinking, well, that's not what I would think was a good idea, but okay. (laughs) I guess that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. We need to elect you. Oh, no. (laughs) No, that would have, I'd have to deal with too many people. Elect me for what? Anything would be probably. School board, I don't know. Involving people. (laughs) All right. So. I think that that should be it. I think that can be it for now. It could be it of some other things that won't be it of, but yeah, like the heteronormativity. It that yeah. Heteronormativity never stops. That's never it. But that can be it for this discussion of it. Okay. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! I have a piece of dry skin on the tip under here that keeps, like, I'll lotion it and I'll slough it off and it just... It comes back. Pops right off again. Like like my nose hairs. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
piece of dry skin at the tip of my nose. It's it easier. Makes me sad. It's easier to see. There's a trimmer for my situation. Yeah. So. See, I I use the the little skin buffer thing, and I use the the lotion and the extra lotion, and the right. skin just comes back again. So anyway. Those are things that people that that you have to deal with expect from you. It's it's woman tax, mm-hmm. which we can talk about another time. Right. I think we've talked about it before. Nobody so, cares if you have dry skin on your nose. They don't care. <laughs> they do care if you have nose hairs. They only do if they start catching boogers or something, or they get too long, or like super gross, or you know. Otherwise, they're just like, eh. You notice them before other people will notice them, and you trim them back again. I do. Okay. So anyway, Probably. I'm sorry. Probably. <laughs> okay. So back back to the... Rabbit trail what? Um, things that we were talking about. Talk about what we're saying. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>